Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Zach McCulley, and today I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Christiane Tietz, who is a recognized scholar in systematic and historical theology, as well as known for her work on Diedrich Bonhoeffer and Karl Barth. She is full professor of systematic theology at the Institute of Hermeneutics and Philosophy of Religion at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. Christiane has now authored a brand new book, the first full biography of Karl Barth since the standard work by Eberhard Busch nearly 50 years ago. Um, And the book is called Karl Barth, A Life in Conflict, and the translation of which into English was just published this May uh, 2021 with Oxford University Press. Christiane, congratulations on the book and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Well, we're looking forward to discussing uh, your new book on Bart and and hearing how you've explored and, and exposited the interactions between Bart's personal and, and political life and his theology. Uh, but perhaps before we do that, uh, could you tell our listeners maybe a little bit more about yourself? Of course I can. I, I was born in Frankfurt in Germany and studied mathematics and Protestant theology and did my PhD on Bonhoeffer. And um, then was I was a professor in Mainz, and now I'm professor in Zurich, as you have already said. Um, I studied with Eberhard Jüngel a lot in Tübingen, and Eberhard Jüngel um, was a, a, I don't know how, how to put it, he, he liked Barth a lot, and he studied with Barth and was somehow befriended with Barth, so my, my theological way was shaped by Barth um, from the very beginning, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Well, um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to see this book appeared. Uh, it's, it's now translated into English with OUP. Um, so why don't we begin quite, quite broadly? Um, can you tell us what led to this project and uh, what need did you identify for a new biography on BART to be written? Well, you, you actually mentioned it already when you said that Bush's large biography was published almost 50 years ago in mm. 1975 in German. And um, when, when Bush wrote this, grand, this great book, many sources were not published then. He, of course, went to the archives and, um, and used all the non-published sources. But now the critical edition of Karl Barth's work, uh, is not, it's not completed yet, but many, many volumes have come out. And they are critically and edited and historically located and situated. So it, it might be, I thought it might be time to, to, um, to try that. But of course, I was a bit hesitant if I would be the, the right person to do it, of course, because Bart is such a huge figure. And so this project is, uh, was, was, it, was, it was, I need some courage, uh, actually, to, to mm-hmm. try to do that. It, it was especially attractive for me because um, I'm now living in, in Switzerland, but I'm German. And so this... Um, being coming from Germany and, and now living in Switzerland, trying to get to know the Swiss people, this and, and doing something on Bart, a Swiss theologian, of course, helped me 
because Bart always was um, was also um, engaged in German politics and German society. So this being between two countries was for Bart somehow similar as for me. So this was, of course, a good chance to, to get to know Swiss mentality a bit better, but also to to reflect about living between two countries. Very good. Well, um, Karl Barth lived during some exceptional political moments and, and global conflicts, uh, also during some interesting years with regard to philosophical and new theological considerations. Your book does a lot to uncover the man behind the ideas, um, the ideas that would that would shape a theological tradition for for really an entire century. Um, I'm wondering if you can give our listeners maybe a, a maybe for those who who are less familiar with Bart or, or you know don't know much about him at all, could you give could you give those listeners maybe a a mini snapshot of who Karl Bart was? Of course, of course. Uh, Karl Bart was born in 1886 at 10th May um, in Basel. His father was a theology professor, and uh, Bart was raised then in Bern. Uh, town close to uh, a few hours from Basel away and then Bart studied theology in Bern and Tübingen uh, sorry in Bern Berlin Tübingen and Marburg and um, read of course the the classics at that time Schleiermacher uh, a lot and Tölsch and and um, he engaged in in Kant's philosophy and neo-Kantian philosophy when he was in Marburg um, he also studied with Adolf von Harnack one of the great liberal theologians at that time in Germany and was impressed by Wilhelm Hermann in Marburg and studied also with Martin Rade, another theologian uh, in Marburg. Um, so after Bart had finished his studies, he started to serve as a vicar in Geneva. And at that time, uh, during that time, met his uh, later wife, Nellie Hoffman, whom he married in 1913. He then became a pastor in Safenwil, which is a small town in, in the canton of Argos, is a town shaped by working class and farming families, which made Bart um, engaged in religious socialism. So a, a theological movement at that time in Switzerland where people emphasized that what, what Jesus thought and what, what Jesus stood for is in accordance with socialism. So that that and and Bart emphasized at that time that Christians not only could but but should be socialists if they want to conform to Jesus. And um, Bart at that time engaged politically and fought with a the um, the, the the big uh, um, factories at at the town and and um, <laughs> yeah and and tried uh, to to help the people of his congregation to get better working conditions. So Bart already then was politically uh, quite quite active while coming himself from a professor's uh, uh, background. Um, but when, when Bart looked back on his own life, he, he always said that the main um, event which changed his whole theological thinking, being shaped by liberal theology and being shaped by religious socialism, was the, the start of the First World War. And the experience that many of his theological teachers in Germany, back in Germany, supported the war, the war theologically. Um, so uh, that they they, um, they sent out a manifest, and in which they supported German militarism and said that um, the war which Germany um, fought was for German culture 
and that without that war, German culture would not survive and things like that. And, and uh, Barth felt that theology is here somehow misused and that love for fatherland and, and lust for war and Christian faith have fallen into a hopeless confusion. So this made him change his, his theological approach. And then he published a commentary on, on the letter of Paul to the Romans, in which he tried to look again at the biblical text and not to stick with the concepts which he had learned uh, at the university. This first commentary on the Romans, on Paul's letter on the Romans was published in 1919. And after a while, it draw big attention because what Barth did there theologically was somehow an expression of how the people felt at that time. Um, after two years, this, this led to a professorship for Barth in Göttingen. Barth did not have a dissertation or even a habilitation. They just asked him if he wanted to become a professor there. Barth was only a pastor. And then after a few years, he moved to Münster as a professor and then moved to Bonn. And in these years in Bonn, where he was again professor for dogmatics, um, he struggled a lot and fought a lot with National Socialism. I think we could talk about that later a bit again. And this fought with National Socialism and Bart's, um, uh, Bart's but, uh, no to National Socialism finally led to Bart's uh, retirement in 1935. But uh, he was lucky that only a few days later, he was invited to become a professor back in Basel in his hometown. So Bart returned to Switzerland in 1935 and taught there until the end of his, uh, of his career. Do, when Bart was in Switzerland, he also he again engaged politically. On the one hand, he supported the, the, um, the, the confessing church, the church opposition in Germany from Switzerland. And on the other hand, he criticized the Swiss policy towards uh, Germany and said that Swiss neutrality is, is not correct at that point because they should oppose national socialism. They, they, they surveyed Bart's phone, for example. They told him he should not speak publicly. Um, they censored his, his papers. So Bart experienced in Switzerland and his homeland something which was a little bit similar to what he experienced actually in Germany. At the end of the war, Bart um, talked to his Swiss, um, to the Swiss people that they should be, uh, that they should forgive Germany. And he was very active in, in saying that Switzerland should, should, should open its arms for Germany, as, as was clear that Germany would lose the war. And then Bart very quickly went back to Germany, gave lectures, and on the German side, not said, people should forgive you, but he said to the Germans, you should confess your sin. You should confess your guilt, what you, what you did when you uh, fought that war, when you killed people, et cetera, et cetera, which is for me a very uh, exciting thing that on the one hand he says, you should forgive, and on the other hand, to the, other, to the others he says, you should confess your guilt. Um, but after the war, again and again engaged politically. For example, he fought against anti-communism or he uh, was involved in the opposition to German rearmament or fought against uh, nuclear weapons. So he did never stop being a political, a being um, a political theologian, I don't want to say, but a, a theologian who... Um, considers the political dimension of the gospel, so to speak. Um, 
as a very old man, Bart actually went to the United States in 1962, only a few years before that, and liked it there very much. But it was his first trip to the United States, and he gave lectures all over the country with thousands of people, thousands of people listening to Karl Barth, who at that time had become very, very famous. Um, Bart died in 1968 on December 10th just while he, was, while he was sleeping. So he, had, he was, had become sick for a while already, a few years before he died. He had several severe surgeries and, and hospitaliza hospitalizations, but he died quite uh, peacefully then at the, in 1968. So um, I appreciate in, in this book how, you, how you're drawing out the, the various tensions in, in Bart's life, both, both the public tensions and also the private ones. Um, if we look at Bart's public career, we see both conflicts arising national, politically, and theologically. So on these national and political issues, which you've touched on some in, in the, the really good overview you've just given us, um, can, you, can you talk to us about uh, Bart and national socialism and the German church's conformity to it? Um, and then maybe also... How was he able to make the types of arguments he did as a, as a Swiss citizen as opposed to a German? Um, I think the, the problematic story in Germany about national socialism is that many within the church liked the, the national, nationalist thinking in Germany. And even parts of the members who, who said they would like to be the church opposition to the government, to the Nazi government, liked the German Christians and their ideology. And, and German Christians, I might explain that, is, was a movement which had, had been funded in 1932 with the goal of creating space for national socialist ideology within the Protestant church. In their founding document, they say, we recognize in race and ethnicity and nation orders of life given and entrusted to us by God, who has commanded us to preserve them. For this reason, race mixing must be opposed, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and several members of the church or great parts of the Protestant church actually liked this ideology. So, um, for example, a, a paper in, in, at a meeting in January 1934, where the opposition to the, to the government met, they, were, they, they, were, they, they had a consensus that they would want to fight against the Gleichschaltung, which means that the the structures of the church should be similar to the political structures which the politicians want at the time, but they were divided about relationship to the German Christians. And they wanted to, uh, to write a memorandum to Adolf Hitler and wanted to open this uh, memorandum, this is church opposition, by thanking God in the German Christian spirit for everything that he has done for the German people in 1933. So, and, and Barth always fought against this mixture of um, national socialist ideology and Christian faith. He he said we have another faith, we have another spirit than the German Christians. We have another God. So he was very clear about that. That it's not not a question of uh, do I like it or do I not like it. No, it's impossible for Christians to be national socialists. This led to to Bart's um, active behavior against national socialism. So when he was asked, or when, when all professors in Germany were asked to um, swore in, uh, and to swear an oath on Hitler, Barth said, and it was a totalitarian oath, Barth said, I cannot swear that oath. Um, I have to add, I can only swear it if I can add that I will follow the Führer 
as long as I can do that as a, as a Protestant Christian. And of course, the government did not accept that. And then Bart had in a, a, a legal argument and, and a process was, was raised against him where he had to, um, where they asked, said, you should do that. And, and they said, can you, can you see how Bart um, thinks? He's not, he's not supporting Germany. He's not a loyal citizen if he doesn't want to swear that oath. And for Bart, it was always, his goal was always to, to um, make public the totalitarian aspect of national socialism or, or put, different, um, put differently that, that Hitler actually wants to be a second god. And then, of course, for him as a theologian, a Christian, this, this was not acceptable at all. For me, this is, all, this is very, um, it becomes very obvious at, in the final scene of, Bar of the process, which was raised against Barth. And if I may, I can just quote the state attorney, sure. what, what, he's, what he said at that process. Um, and because that, that uh, quote shows that Bart was correct in his um, understanding of the totalitarian um, uh, manner of, of, of national socialism. So this state attorney said at the process, and they were discussing the, the, the oath on Hitler. The reference to God in the wording of the oath simply implies, so they said, um, so help me God. And, and the attorney explains, the person swear, swearing calls on God as, wit as witness that in the oath, he has promised loyalty and obedience to the Führer, to Adolf Hitler. The decision as to whether what is being demanded of civil servants on the basis of this commitment to be loyal and obedient is consistent with the commandments of God does not rest, and that this is so, does not rest with individual civil servants, but solely and exclusively with the Führer himself, whom God has placed at his post, and whom for that reason can and must be given blind trust, that because of his special relationship to God, he, the Führer, will not demand anything of his subordinates that God forbid. The very sense of this loyalty oath sworn to the person of the Führer is that the civil servant should have unconditional and unreserved confidence in the Führer. And this is, of course, very, really totalitarian. So people should give up their own thinking. They should simply do what the Führer says. And Bart protested in that process and said that such an understanding of the state contradicted the first commandment and turned Hitler into a second god. He later reported to his friend Turneisen that he then took out his edition of Plato and read from Socrates' Apology. Men of Athens, I honor and love you, but I shall obey God rather than you. I believe that to this day no greater God has ever happened in the state than my service, and no greater good, sorry, has ever happened in the state than my service to the God. And then Bart added that this was true to gay, so by its recognition of the church, the state affirms for its own sake the limit that is set for the state by the church. And state professors of theology are the guardians of this limit put there by the state itself. You can imagine that the court, of course, was not impressed by this. And at the end of the proceedings, Bart was punished, punished sorry, with dismissal from service. But for Bart, this was a very important moment because um, he had always said in the church debates of, on, uh, about this oath, um, that it is a totalitarian oath and many people in the church said no it's not totalitarian because we say so help me God and this shows that God is above the Führer but this um, 
in this process, it became very obvious that it was not true. And this finally led to, to Bart's um, uh, early retirement. And then he left, finally left Germany. Very good. Well, if we look at these, these other sets of tensions, um, Bart's theological convictions that he had amidst a particularly sharply critical opposition, um, can you talk to us some about, um, you know, what, what were some of the theological distinctions that Bart was keen on making? And was he resolute in these theological positions, despite the criticism and, and even surveillance, as, as you mentioned? Well, I think there are several points which should be mentioned here. One point is that Bart really has an understanding of the Bible where he wants to listen to the Bible. Um, not in a biblicistic sense, in the sense that every single word was dictated by God or so, but in the sense that the Bible is the place where God still speaks to us, where the text should become vivid and where we should listen to to um, to witnesses from the past. That's one point, which of course in that time was not what not was not accepted, uh, because many. Many said we have historical critical analysis, which Bart did not have against anything against it. But many said, well, that's that's enough if we have that historical critical analysis. And Bart, Bart then phrased this famous statement: "Those who do historical criticism must be more critical," which meant that they should read the New Testament um, in in all its terms with relationship to the subject matter about the text about which the text is speaking. And the subject matter for Bart was God. And this is the, the second main point, I think, in Bart's theology, that he would say theology should not talk about religion and it, it should not talk about human desire towards transcendence or so. Theology's task is to talk about God. And, and that's the main subject. And why is this? Because why is, the, why is it so important to distinguish those two dimensions? Because Bart would say... God is absolutely different from anything in this world. And so nothing within this world, neither religion nor culture, could lead to God. There's only one way how God and the world can encounter, and that's because God re reveals himself, uh, God's self. God shows who God is. And that's a dynamic which cannot be... Cannot be um, constituted by me, by any human endeavor. And this was quite contra contrary to the the theology at that time. So there was one debate between Bart and Adolf von Harnack, his, his uh, teacher, where Bart, uh, where Harnack, I'm sorry, where Harnack um, criticized Bart and said that his theology has departed from scholarship because um, Bart would, would speak naively of the Bible and, and would... Um, would would want the Bible to to talk and to 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 be heard to and and Hanak felt well that's not that's too naive and that's not an, an academic endeavor and and Hanak um, said that Bart mixes up uh, the theological lecture and the preacher's pulpit and that should not be done by theology but Bart said no theologians have to uh, be, have a close relationship to the church they have to speak about God, this has to be methodologically reflected, but they could not stick on the uh, worldly level, so to speak. 
Very and good. maybe the Go last ahead. point is, is that that from this from this um, from the starting point of God, Bart would criticize anything like um, natural theology in the sense of from from anything we can observe in this world, any structures in this world, we can conclude something about God and God's will. So this was actually his main point in uh, in the time of National Socialism that he felt many theologians said we have the structures. I quoted one of these. Uh, um, some minutes ago we have nation or race and these these things are given by god and therefore um we can conclude ethical and normative things and Bart would always say no that's not how theology should argue because theology should not start with earthly structures it should always start with god and god's uh, revelation in jesus christ well, if we could stay on, on Bart's theology for another minute before going into um, some of the things you talk about in the book about his private life. Uh, when we think of Bartian theology, we think a lot of times theology of the word of God, we think dialectical theology or, or, or neo-orthodoxy. Um, as, as Bart came to consider the relationship between God and man, um, what is it that he he found in the thought of people like uh, Schleiermacher and 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 modern theology more broadly that he thought they had confused? Well, I, th- I think the main critical point here was that he felt they start with a human being and with human self consciousness, religion, and and culture, and um, but that's not how theology would function because there's no path from human beings to God. Um, I have one quote about. Uh, Schleiermacher stands towards Schleiermacher where he says, with all due respect to the brilliance of his life's work, I hold Schleiermacher to not be a good theological teacher for now, because as far as I can see, his work leaves fatally unclear the fact that the human as human finds himself in need, that is an inescapable need. His work also leaves unclear that the entire stock of so-called religion, including Christianity, participates in this need. Thus, he is vague on the point that speaking of God means something other than speaking about the human in a somewhat higher pitch. So um, I think Bart would say that Bart, that Schleimer, sorry, uh, is not aware of the sinfulness of human beings, of the um, that they are incurved in themselves, that they are focused on themselves, and that they need some some help from from elsewhere. It's interesting, nevertheless, that Bart never got. Um, got rid of Schleiermacher, so to speak. So even his la- he, he gave his last uh, university seminar on Schleiermacher. So he criticized Schleiermacher quite often, but always felt that Schleiermacher um, is worthy to be th- to think to be thought about, and and that Schleiermacher is one of the greatest theologians of all time. So when he um, dedicated his last seminar on Schleiermacher, he wrote to a friend. I have fought my whole life long against his romantic theology and at the end want to try to bring it to light for the young people of today. And he then in other late texts, he said that he remained connected to Schleiermacher with the old love, hate and the even older hate, love. And up to his end, his life's end was not finished with him. So I think Bar- Bar- on the one hand, he, he, I think he, he he's, sense that Schleiermacher saw important things and that you cannot simply just skip it. Um, and this is why Bart's again and again taught Schleiermacher's theology. Well, if I could just follow up real quick then on, on Schleiermacher again. Um, here we have another theologian heavily documented in both German and English speaking literature. 
Um, do you do you think Schleiermacher has sort of overshadowed Bart in any way in, in the scholarship? And and if so, why might that be? Well, I, I cannot, I'm not so sure about the English language context at that point, point, but at least in Germany or in the German speaking context, I think I think on the one hand, it's some sort of backlash against the dominance of Bart's theology over several decade, decades. And on the other hand, I think it's, um, I think for the German context, you could say that this focus on Schleiermacher is grounded in the attempt to remain interesting as theology in the academic context. It might be a fault of Bart theology that he seemed not at all interested in theology being acknowledged as academic discipline. And nowadays where theology again and again gets under pressure in the academic, in the German academy, there are questions about should it be at the university at all and things like that. I think a theology like that of Bart um, at first sight looks at if it is not, uh, could not be conform with academic standards. I think that's, that's, that's only true at first sight, uh, but somehow a theology which is more um, interwoven with, with other disciplines and, and doesn't differ in the approach from other disciplines seems to be more uh, suitable to to the academy. Nevertheless, it's for me in in, in inter um, interdisciplinary discourse. It's interesting for me to realize that many um, find theology interesting in interdisciplinary discourse because theology does it different. So that's that's a very short uh, short side argument to say that theology that, that like that upward is not interesting in interdisciplinary discourse. So I would say that it is, and if theology only says what philosophy or, or history has already said, then theology is not as interesting. And Bart's theology always stresses that we have to do, theology has to do it different. Really interesting. Well, Christiane, if, if we can now kind of link this conversation about Bart's thought, um, maybe into a talk now about some of the tensions and, and even contradictions that you bring about uh, in the book regarding his his own personal and, and private life. Um, can you talk to us about what your book says about Bart and, and his private life? Yes, of course. Um, I, uh, for, for a long time, it was not uh, people didn't know how Bart's private life, private life actually was was shaped. There was were rumors during his lifetime um, about a closer relationship which he had not to his wife but to Charlotte von Kirschbaum. Um, she was his personal assistant, and only several years ago, uh, sources became published where you could read about their personal relationship. First in two thousand where letters between uh, Bart and his friend Eduard, von to Eduard Toneisen were published in which the difficult situation in which Bart's marriage was, was addressed. And you could sense the conflicts in those letters between uh, Bart and his wife and Charlotte von Kirschbaum. And this was only in 2000 because the, the children only then had decided to publish those aspects of Bart's private life before in the letters before um, they were not published. And then in 2008, um, the letters between Bart and Charlotte von Kirschbaum, the first volume covering 1925 and 19 to 1935 was published, in which you could read details of their deep personal love. 
And since then, you, you, you people know knew that that there's not um, it's not only a rumor, but that Bart was really in a strong uh, love relationship with Charlotte von Kirschbaum. He met her in 1925. Um, they quickly started exchanging letters and and uh, very quickly fell in love with each other. In February 1926, they declared each other or that they loved each other. Um, and then Bart only a few days later told his wife about that. And at the beginning, he was very convinced that he sh that this should not lead to a closer relationship because he was a married man and because he had responsibilities for his church. In the, in the first love letter, which Bart writes to Charlotte, this becomes quite clear when he says, if we were both single, the discovery that has not now been irrevocably made would be one of the mo of those moments of spring joy and life with which God sometimes blesses us foolish, wrong-headed creatures in the midst of our darkness. As things stand, this same discovery is a moment of pain and renunciation. So Bart was at the very beginning very convinced that this could should be the future. There should be no steps closer to each other. But very soon, Bart realized that he couldn't live without having Charlotte von Kirschbaum at, her, at his side. So in 1927, Charlotte von Kirschbaum started supporting Bart in his theological work. And he missed her so much in his daily life that in January 29, he asked her to move into his home. She should work, continue to work with him. And for the outside, one should speak of her as his secretary. Let me just explain why this, why it came to that point. In, in one letter in March 1929, Bart confesses how he feels about her. And he says to her, tell me what is it that we now can almost no longer exist without one another, that even from far away there is such an attraction and is nowhere more comfortable than with the other, and in fact so close as possible with the other. I never knew that there could be something like this. Of course, Nellie Bart, his wife, agonized as Bart suggested the charter should move in and she considered it a divorce, but finally tried to understand Carl. I think she really loved him very much. And then in October 29, Charlotte von Kirschbaum did move in into the family home in Münster and moved from there to all the other places. And an almost 40-year-long Notgemeinschaft, how they called it. You could translate that with a, an, an emergency or necessary community, but also a community full of, full of trouble. And Notgemeinschaft um, began with many, many ups and downs, lots of suffering on all sides. And they again and again tried to change the constellation, but did not find a different path which was agreeable for all. And when you read those letters between those um, three people, then you can really, you really realize that they, that was for none of them a simple solution, but they really, they again, again, tried, could he, uh, to consider, should he not end the relationship to Charlotte or should they not try a divorce? And, and they always found that it was even, even worse, <laughs> such a solution. So they, they really, it was not a simple way, a simple path for all, for any of these. Well, this is really interesting material, and probably for for many Bart readers, especially those more familiar with his theological output than than his life, like like me. This is quite an 
uh, an education of, of Bart behind the scenes. Um, but thinking of Bart now from a, from a theological perspective, uh, we know that Bart had some awareness of, of the responsibility he had for the church in that day and, and how this kind of surprising um, relationship would influence it. Um, I think uh, this was something he addressed even, even in the first love letter to uh, Charlotte in, in 1926. Um, so I, I suppose we should ask, what is the theological dimension to this sort of love triangle as he's seeking to reconcile this with his understanding of, of the Christian life? That's a very complex question, I'd say, because um, on the one hand, he, for for example, he did not go for a divorce because he felt he has he had public responsibility, and at that time, in 1933, where the marriage crisis was especially tense, uh, he was so exposed in the public discourse that discourse that he felt if if um, he would go for this divorce here, he might lose his authority, and not in terms of his own academic career, but in terms of responsibility for the church in that situation. But there are also, also other aspects to it. Um, very pragmatically, she was she worked with him. She was responsible for lo- lots of material which he collected. And, and she is was indispensable for the material richness of Bart's theology, for the excourses in his theology. But he, she did not, as some tell, write those um, excourses. The... the if you go to the archive, there's no evidence that she did write these excursions, but she collected material which Bart then um, used for writing these excursions. Um, and there is another aspect to it because I, Bart often, or in, in several private letters, he expresses that this experience with Charlotte has changed his attitude towards, uh, not towards morals. He, he uh, he, he did not uh, change his understanding of how how should a marriage be. A marriage should be between two people, but it changed his understanding of how people need grace in their life and not cheap grace, because he really he was aware that he was guilty doing that. I will quote um, one love letter as the first actually where he already expresses this, where he says to Charlotte. Um, that this experience which he now makes with her makes him makes him aware that I quote now I have taken much from many and indeed much that is beautiful and lovely and high and, and high I, I think that I have often spoken too sharply with too much certainty and at the same time have had to sacrifice too little concretely myself and then he continued a strange result of our experience will be that my course this summer on the newer history of theology will turn out much milder, much milder, more compassionate, more reserved than would otherwise have been the case. When I read the letters, I was moved that Bart never hid the guilt which this constellation meant to his closer friends and family. He did not think that how he did it was right. Uh, I read the sentence before. In 1947, Bart summarized how he viewed himself and his relationship to the two women and what this meant for his theology. And I now quote him, the very fact that is the greatest earthly blessing 
bestowed upon me in my life is simultaneously the harshest judgment against my earthly life. So I stand before God's eyes without being able to escape God in the one way or another. It is entirely possible that because of this, there is an element of experience in my theology, or better put, an element of lived life. In a very concrete manner, I have been forbidden from becoming the legalist that under other circumstances I could have become. Well, Christiane, you have done a great job researching and writing this book and telling telling the story of a life of great significance, um, a life of tension, and as your subtitle says, a life of conflict. Um, you've been really generous with your time now today, and I'm really glad we could make this work. Um, but before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners what you plan to work on next? I'm currently finishing a handbook on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and a conference volume on Interlitschke's scriptural hermeneutics. And I'm actually looking for somebody else who would be a good subject for another biography because I like that format. Excellent. Well, that sounds like great work. Uh, but for now, thank you for writing this book. It's called Karl Barth, A Life in Conflict, published with Oxford University Press here in 2021. And Christiane, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on New Books and Christian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network.